drenched and how you do that. And the series that we're starting today is a stewardship series. Now, um, that word stewardship, for a lot of Christians, uh, there's an allergic reaction to it. In fact, for a lot of uh, a lot of people, period, there's an allergic reaction to it. But this is important. This is some good stuff you're going to get today. I mean, it, 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 ab- it absolutely is. So would you stand with me and let's read Psalm 24 together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord almighty. He is the king of glory. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence of your spirit in this place. I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear hearts to understand, correct our perceptions today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay. Seeing is believing, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe, kind of, sort of. Actually, I mean, obviously we live in an age of uh, uh, Photoshop and CGI and all that stuff. And and even before then, uh, you know, illusions could sometimes be pretty convincing, uh, absolutely convincing. And so we wouldn't necessarily say that seeing is believing, but there is a context in which that phrase is absolutely true. And the context in which it's absolutely true is the way we see things is going to influence what we believe. How we act is usually more influenced by what we perceive than what we say we believe. Talk's cheap. Yeah. We can say anything. And we do very often. But how we act is usually more influenced by what we actually perceive. Perception almost always trumps confession. Now it shouldn't. And I, and I know about confession. But perception almost always trumps confession. There's real power and bringing both into alignment when that when that can possibly be done illusion is a very powerful thing your your perception the way you see things depends on what you see i mean it it defines what you see Uh, many of you've seen this one before but if that's your perception you see a face if this is your perception you see a liar uh i really like this one you know profile or straight on yeah, it's a good one. I, I think the earring kind of gives it away. But uh, profile or straight on. I, I like this guy too. I, I just got acquainted with him this week. Uh, how many of you have seen this one? Uh, okay, Barbie was in the first service. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I mean, bald-headed, beard. Okay. Yeah, I was impressed. I was, I, I was like, <gasps> I see it. But it depends on your point of view. It depends on where you're coming from. It depends on where your, your perception is based. And, of course, virtually all of you, you know this one. You know, which line is longer? Well, they're both the same. But because of the, the circumstances surrounding them, they happen to look different. Not all illusions are optical. There are powerful spiritual illusions in the world. And the most powerful illusion involves how we perceive the world. How we look at it. What, what, what we actually see there. Jesus did not come primarily to save us from eternal damnation. That wasn't his main reason for coming. Now, he, he did come for that, but he only mentions it a few times. He, he talks about it, you know, a few times. We tend to focus on the times that, we talk, that he talked about it, and we tend to take some others, and it changes our focus of verses because we, we think that's what he did. But the truth of the matter is, he, what he really talked about most of the time, what, what, he, what he was focused on in his life and in, and in his teaching was a whole new way to live. A whole, a whole new way to live right now. Fullness of life over in, in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Fullness of life is not something that happens after you die. It's something that happens now. You know, if, if, it, if it were about after we, if it was only about after we die, then, you know, we need to get saved and and off each other and then going to heaven and, and have a good time with it. Even John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal isn't just out there. It's also back there. And so wherever we are, it's also what it is. And if you've been here before, you've heard me. The, the Hebrew concept of eternal life wasn't just forever and ever and ever and ever. It was the quality of life that God has. And his presence is the fullness of joy. And his right hand are blessings forevermore. The, 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 God never gets bored. Fullness of life. Eternal life. The kingdom of God is what he talked about while he was here. And the kingdom of God isn't just something, isn't, isn't something that happens after we die. We get this, we get this uh, concept in our mind that the kingdom of God has something to do with a big city and, you know, streets of gold and, and, and all that. And big city streets of gold, yeah, looking forward to that. Big, big time looking forward to that. But Jesus wasn't saying, get ready for the kingdom of God because when you die, it's going to be here. No, he said the kingdom of God is in your midst. It is at hand. It is present. It's near. It's here. Jesus preached and taught about the kingdom of God in Matthew. It's, it's called the kingdom of heaven, but he says it's near, it's at hand. And life in the kingdom is available right now, but it requires, requires us to, to take a new perspective from the perspective that we tend to take. Uh, Romans 12, 1. 
It's a verse a lot of people are familiar with. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And go, yeah, now that's, that, that's, that's what I'm aiming for. But verse 2 tells us how you do that. By not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's kingdom is where God rules, and we can't be subject to his rule if we don't know what his will is. And we can't know what his will is if we look at things the way the world looks at things. Because the world doesn't get it. And, and, and we've taken it, oftentimes we've taken it, and we have compressed it sort of into a... Into a we, We've shot it through the world prism and come out with the idea that not being conformed to the pattern of this world has something to do with what we wear or has something to do with what we eat or drink or in particular what we don't drink. But I believe the Bible also says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's really not a matter of what you wear or any kind of outward thing. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is a place where people love their enemies. Yeah, we got one amen out of that one. (laughs) Just waiting to see if anybody wanted to buy in to, you know, like something Jesus said. The kingdom of God is a place where people love their enemies and not just selectively love their enemies. It's not just a matter of, well, you know, I I love my enemies, just not those. But it's a place where they love their enemies. The kingdom of God is a place where people are long-suffering and are quick to forgive. Woo. What kind of world would it be if we just did these two? Heaven is all around us. Sure would be. The kingdom of God is a place where people are peacemakers. And let me just say that they don't make peace by killing the people that they can't bully into thinking the way they think. Yeah, I got a whistle out of that one. I mean, that's, that's worth like six amens. Genuine peacemakers. Blessed are the the people who make peace because they're the children of God. The kingdom of God is a place where people are humble, where people walk in humility. You know, it's not a matter of coming riding into town. There's a new sheriff in town. The kingdom of God is here. Now, Jesus walked in humility for crying out loud. He absolutely did. The kingdom of God is a place where where people are generous and they give freely because it doesn't belong to them anyway. It's fun to give away other people's money. It's fun to give it's fun to give where there's unlimited resources. The, the kingdom of God is a place where people don't amass material wealth. That's not a goal. That's not something that they're aiming for. Because they don't have to. The kingdom of God is a place where people love others as themselves. In other words, the kingdom of God is a place where people look like Jesus Christ. You say, well, that doesn't look like Jesus Christ. Well, National Geographic thinks it does. (laughs) 
But I decided to use that picture and intentionally use a picture that's not our mental image because a lot of our mental image about Jesus, not just physically, but the way he actually was and moved, lived and moved and had his being is wrong. We, we reflect it through the world's prism rather than just looking at it straight on. But what a, what a world. I mean, that's the kingdom of God. And you kind of say, well, I would love to live in that, but my wife won't, won't move there with me. Oh, well, that's too bad, isn't it? You know, I'd love to live in that, but my neighbor is a stinker. Well, that gives you an opportunity to live in the kingdom of God by being long-suffering and quick to forgive and loving your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Really? There's a powerful illusion that most Christians labor under in our culture that prevents us from entering the kingdom of God. Not not from being saved. You, You can be saved and not walk in the kingdom. In fact, a lot of people are saved and don't walk in the kingdom. But prevents us from entering the kingdom of God. And you can discover, you can discover, did I say discover? You can discover... If, if you're laboring under that illusion by honestly answering one simple question, what do you own? What, what do I own? Because there's really only one kingdom answer to that question. And that answer is nothing. Nothing whatsoever. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I hope you were listening because I would like for you to say that to a neighbor next to you. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Just, just turn to them and say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Yeah. The world and all who live in it. Ah, very good. You got that memorized? Yeah. The planet is his. Um... We get, we're so easily distracted, you know, squirrel, we're, we're all just a bunch of dogs. We just, whatever, whatever catches our attention, we're there. The planet is his. You know what? I don't care if climate change is real or not. Doesn't matter to me. You know, I, I, I don't want to take care of, of this planet because it's getting worse. Well, hello. Yes, it is getting worse. I want to take care of it because it belongs to my dad. And he, it it belongs to him and he, and he entrusted something to me. Uh, And if you were to, if you were to lend me your car and hopefully it's late model (laughs) and in really good shape, maybe even like Italian sports car or something. Um, you know, and, and in really good shape and everything and, and, you know, full tank of gas and all that business. I mean, you know, if you were to loan me your car for a little while for my use and I brought it back to you later on and the windshield's cracked and there's some wheel covers missing and it's been trashed on the inside and it's running on fumes and smoke has started to appear in places where it didn't used to appear, things like that. Uh, 
you would, you would not like that. And let me tell you why you wouldn't like it. It wouldn't just be because I messed your car up. It'd be because by doing that, what I would be saying is, I don't respect you. I don't respect you. I don't love you. I don't care about you. Because this is how I treat what you've entrusted me with. And, you know, we, we, we sometimes tend to think we've even, we can make a theology for anything. We've made up a theology, well, you know, it's all going to be destroyed anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Let's just go ahead and use it up, and God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Look, I, I know the analogy breaks down a little bit because God is not concerned about the trade-in value of this earth. But, does that really matter? You know, I can't do anything about uh, ExxonMobil and... and BP and, and uh, uh, the, the idiots who drive down Pawpaw Springs Road and throw bottles out the, out the window and, and cans and stuff like that. You know, I have thought about camping out at night along the road, <laughs> but I really, I really can't go there. I really can't do anything about that. I can do a whole lot about how Ronnie Meek treats what God has entrusted to us. So the, the planet is his. And if I don't do anything about how Ronnie Meek treats it, I don't respect him. I don't honor him. And all of the stuff is his. Everything in Sam's Club belongs to God. Everything at Kroger, at Publix, everything at the... Uh, uh, where, where do they sell women's shoes? I don't know. You know, it all... Everything in your closet <laughs> belongs to God. We often use terms such as giving to God in such a way as to imply that he didn't have something until we gave it to him. That's ridiculous. It, 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 that's absolutely ridiculous. Many of us can relate to the experience of being a child. We can probably relate to the experience of being the parent of a child. And the child comes to the parent and wants some money. To be able to buy the parent a present, right? And hopefully a little extra on the side to be able to get a little ice cream and stuff along with the, as we're shopping uh, for, for the present. The clear truth is, uh, it, it, the clear truth that none of the stuff belongs to us can be easily proven with, an upper, with, a, with another simple question. What do you get to keep? If it's yours, you get to keep it, Right? What do you get to keep? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus told a parable about a man over in Luke chapter 12. And this man had a lot of stuff. He said, I got so much stuff, I don't know what to do with it. I've already given like a pair of shoes and three shirts away to Goodwill. And I still got stuff. I, 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 I know what I'll do. I'll build, I'll expand my garage. I'll, I'll put flooring in my attic so I can put stuff up there. I will rent a storage unit. I've got so much stuff. And God came to him that very night. He said, you fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And this will be how it, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. You fool. The scripture says 
the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so the person who gets so much stuff so that they don't have to worry about anything, let's build bigger barns, is also the person who's not concerned with the fact that there's a God up there who's going, I didn't give you all that stuff just so you could have more stuff. Those who store up for themselves. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I've always thought of that in terms of, well, you know, I'll um, I'll send my prayers up and I'll store that stuff up. And then when I die, I'll have a a big load up there that 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 I'll have. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. If you store up mercy and grace and peace and joy, you don't have to die to start drawing on that that you stored up. It, it, begins, it begins to happen even right now. And besides that, all of the people are his. Some, some think, well, it's my life. I'll do what I want with it. And it's true up to a point. Yeah, you, 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 you can do that. But ultimately, this reasoning reasoning falls to the same question. Do you get to keep it? If it's yours, you can can keep it. Oh, we try. Boy, do we ever try. What was was the name of the stuff where you freeze yourself when you're done? Yeah, well, a lot of you guys have been Googling that, haven't you? You know, you... uh, you know, I'm going to die, but maybe if they freeze me, then they can figure out how to, how to make me okay, and then, and then they'll unfreeze me, and, you know, won't that be great? Uh. No. You don't, you don't get to keep it. Jesus said, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. And this, I put this one scripture verse up here, but he said it six times in the Gospels. Six times, I I think he repeated this more than anything else that he said. So it's a pretty important concept. And so, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and I own nothing, then what am I? Well, you're a steward of the house. If everything belongs to God, then everything you have is not something you own. It is something that has been entrusted to you. And it hasn't been entrusted to you to go and dig a hole in the ground and bury it. It's not that you don't get to use it. In fact, you're supposed to use it. That's what, that's what a steward does. Those of you who are Downton Abbey fans. Yeah. No, uh, uh, Carson? Carson? Okay. Huh? Mr. Carson. Oh, yeah. Uh, and those of you who don't know it, he's a distinguished-looking man. Distinguished-looking man. Yes. What he is is a steward of the house. It's an important position. It's a trusted position. It's a, it, it is an honorable position to be in. I mean, we, the, the, the world's perspective is if I don't own anything, then, boy, I, I must not be worth much. No. No, uh, you've been entrusted with things from God, and that's honorable. 
Understanding and conforming to this perspective is foundational to entering the kingdom of God. Jesus, a couple of verses here. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It says in the next chapter, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And, you know, I, uh, I, I guess I kind of grew up in a... Uh, with a perspective of, okay, how can I, you know, I want to be childlike, not childish, but how can I be childlike? And I think I've done a pretty good job of it for 65 years. You know, I can still, I can, I got moves. (laughs) And I'm not ashamed of them. I probably should be, but I'm not. But I was thinking about this from another perspective today because as, as I was looking at, at this sermon, I was going, you know, when I was a child, I didn't know anything. I didn't own anything. But I was joyful. I was free. I was happy. And I, and, you know, I had, a, I, had a, I had a good childhood. And I, boy, I wish everybody did. And I know that there are those who don't. But, you know, children should... should should feel like they don't have a care in the world, quite frankly. I mean, they need to be disciplined. The only care in the world that they got is, okay, I got to learn how to do that, do I? But they, but, you know, I, I didn't own anything, but I wasn't worried about where my, the next meal was coming from. My daddy owned everything. You know, I mean, uh, and the truth of the matter is, he probably barely had two nickels to rub together, but I didn't know that. I, I, I felt... I had no, no concerns about that kind of stuff, even though I didn't own a thing. And so that perspective enables us to enter the kingdom of God. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. One of the things that I never really noticed about this psalm before is that the first two verses establish a, uh, um, having a senior moment here, I might not be all that childlike, uh, (laughs) establish a principle. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And the rest of the psalm celebrates those who buy into that. And when I looked at this, uh, this particular uh, two verses before, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, who may be in his presence, I always tended to focus in on the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. I mean, I grew up in a, in a, uh, a church atmosphere that was kind of legalistic and um, holiness in, in its approach. Um, and, it's, and it is true. You know, when it says clean hands and a pure heart, that doesn't mean that they, you know, if they got on a, a long sleeve white shirt when they, when they come to church, it means that, you know, they, they're free from guilt. You can't, and, and that's important, you can't enjoy the presence of God and be feeling guilty at the same time. You don't like to be around people you feel guilty about. I mean, they, that, that's, not a, that's not a good feeling. And so that's important too. But I, I kind of blew past the who does not 
trust in an idol or swear by what is false, or by his false God, because, you know, I mean, idols, I've, I'm thinking, you know, statue kind of things. And, uh, you know, uh, no one swears by Molech anymore, you know, that, that kind of thing. But in the context of what we're talking about today, we're talking about the, the established principle, everything belongs to God. And so swear by an idol or put their trust in an idol or swear by a false God, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And is there a more pervasive, a more powerful, a more enticing idol and false God in our culture than that? They will receive blessing from the Lord, vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. This psalm starts with understanding that everything belongs to God. And when we integrate that perspective into our lives, it opens up the opportunity for blessings to flow from God. You know, if you, if you, got, if you got a child and one of them, everything you give that child mine you know and, and another one everything you give that child they're, they're free with it they're willing to share and everything which one do you want to give the most to of course it's the one who's generous the the one who who shares if you've got a child that everything you give to them they destroy it and then you got a child that everything you give to them they take care of it which one do you want to give the most to what which one allows you to open up the floodgates of blessing in their life. Such is the generation of those who who seek your face, O God of Jacob. They have a perspective that will ultimately be vindicated as opposed to those who want to be buried in their Corvair. I thought I'd heard a, 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 an urban legend one time about a guy being buried in his Corvette. And so I thought, I, I'll, I'll look for that. I bet there's a picture of it somewhere. It wasn't a Corvette. It was a, it was a freaking Corvair. <laughs> Who in the world wants to be a Corvair for crying out loud? That's stupid. <laughs> but you know what? It's no more stupid than being buried in a Corvette. It's no more stupid than being buried in a Lamborghini. Or or a Jaguar, yeah. Or or a Nissan. (laughs) Without this understanding, without the understanding that it all belongs to him, we can't really seek his face. The best we can do is join the Bless Me Club. And seek his stuff that, that, that he can give to us. Psalm 24. I, I, at verse 7, I used to think, this is a different psalm. Well, this is, what is this about? You know, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And then it repeats it. Says, says it again. I used to go, well... You know, they got, they were supposed to, you know, this must be Psalm 25. I mean, this just didn't seem to fit. And yet, as I looked at it, 
from the perspective of if you accept those first two verses, then this is a celebration of what happens after that. We tend to associate God's presence with an experience, or uh, especially a moving worship experience. Those of us who, uh, you know, are from this type of Christian camp, uh, our personal encounter with God. But experiencing His presence, and those things are great. Experiencing His presence is not the same thing as having Him come in, because it's a great Sunday. What happened Sunday night? Where'd he go? What changed? What happened on Tuesday? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My teaching about the kingdom. And my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. We'll live there. When you accept my teaching and you begin to walk in that, then we're going to become roomies. We're going to to be together the whole time. If God is truly to come and dwell in me, then I have to understand everything's his, including the me that he came to dwell in. Because he formed me out of nothing and he breathed the breath of life into me. My friend Phil Nelson is a pastor up in the Chicago area and I heard him uh, uh, give an illustration one time that I thought, okay, yeah, that's it. And the illustration was a, 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 a potluck picnic. Everybody brings to the picnic what, what they've got. And God comes to the picnic and God has everything I mean he's got prime rib he's got lobster he's got all of you vegetarians are loving this right he's got uh, uh, well what do vegetarians eat they're, those they're vegetables right huh what <laughs> he has everything but to- tofu uh, you know there because his stuff is real He's got Culver's ice cream. I mean, yeah. It's just there. And you, you have a six-week-old peanut butter sandwich. In your little baggie. Ooh, peanut butter sandwich. Smells good. The bread gets kind of squashed. I mean, it's got its its things. It's got its, yeah. And, uh. And, and God says, hey, uh, why don't we share? And you can either go, hmm, Culver's ice cream, huh? Yeah, all right, let's do that. Or you can go, my peanut butter sandwich. You want me to give you my peanut butter sandwich? Mm-mm-mm. I've been saving this thing for six weeks. <laughs> One perspective says it belongs to you. One perspective says it's yours anyway. I mean, he's got all the peanut butter sandwiches too that you could want. Organic peanut butter. Would you stand with me?
Will those who are going to minister to people come down? You know, this, isn't, this wasn't a sermon today to necessarily go, come on down. This is a sermon today that hopefully you go home, you think about it, begins to work its way into your life and changes your perspective about some things. Because that's, the kingdom of God is not like the world. But, but there are people who came today, I know, who came with needs, who came with... Uh, with problems who came with things that they just want somebody to, to touch and believe and pray with them about and so this is your time uh, the altar's open there may be somebody here who, who, who doesn't know Christ that's where the kingdom of God starts is by being introduced to him and you can do that today I promise you the kingdom of God is a whole lot better than the way you've been living. I promise you it is. Say, so, well, I look at some Christians and they don't seem to be better off than that. Well, they're not living in the kingdom yet. They're, they're saved, but we're trying to get them into the kingdom. You can, you can be saved and get into the kingdom. If you don't need to come, worship with us for a few moments. And we'll wait on those who would like to come.
love you guys. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came into the world that we might have life and have it to the full. May the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead indwell you and shape your perceptions, shape your vision, and lead you into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.